0: Friends, let us now listen to our second reading for today, coming from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription, an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. God who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though God needed anything. Since God gives to all mortals life and breath, and all things. From one ancestor, God made all the nations to inhabit the whole earth, and God allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and would find God, though indeed God is not far from each one of us. For in God we live and move and are, as even some of your own poets have said. For we, too, are God's offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold, or silver, or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent, because God has fixed a day on which they will have the world judged in righteousness, by one whom God has appointed, and of this God has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 2008, Dr. Jason de Leon traveled to Arizona to begin documenting and analyzing items that migrants had left behind in the desert on their dangerous trek northward. Several years prior to this, while doing archeological fieldwork in Mexico and Latin America, de Leon met many migrants and former migrants who had lived in the United States and hearing their stories he became deeply interested in the experience of what it was like to cross the border undocumented. Led by this curiosity, De Leon brought his archeological training and expertise as an anthropologist to the desert with hopes that he could gain a better understanding of the process of migration. This work became also the opportunity to tell a story one larger and more nuanced than what we see on headline news. This story is told through the items people choose to carry and what they leave behind, a story that has changed over time, he's found, as these items and the roots have changed in response to shifting immigration policies. For example, early on, people brought more personal items, those we might think of when asked What would you take if you knew you would never come back? A Bible, family photographs, a tiny silver ring with a half-moon star, love letters, diaries, child-sized shoes, a hairdryer. Yet, over time and with the increasing danger of the trek, travel habits have evolved to include specialized water bottles, backpacks, electrolyte packages, and first aid kits. The Undocumented Migration Project, or the UMP, is what has grown up out of De Leon's early curiosities. It is now a nonprofit research, arts, and education collective with a mission to raise awareness and to inspire positive change around issues of migration globally. In this work, De Leon contextualizes this social process of migration in the history of salvation, I mean, excuse me, history of civilization, because we know that for thousands of years, humans have been resettling, seeking a better life for themselves and their families. Migration itself is not a new phenomenon. Yet, De Leon voices increasing concern for what he has seen of migration specifically on the southern border, evolving over time into what he argues is one of the most systemic, routinized forms of violence occurring on domestic soil. He likens the violence and the trauma experienced through this American migration story to that of the West African slave trade for it is not only items that are found in the desert there are those also those who do not make it through this particular middle passage just prior to the pandemic in 2019 the penn museum hosted an exhibition put on by the ump entitled hostile terrain 94 Named for a Clinton-era border control strategy adopted in 1994 and called Prevention Through Deterrence, this approach blocked urban entry points and forced migrants into the hostile terrain of the Arizona desert. The exhibition was made up of a 20-foot-long map of the Arizona-Mexico border with identification tags on which volunteers and the general public were invited to write a name, an age, a sex, the date a body was located, and the condition in which it was found, the cause of death, and the coordinates of where the body was found. These tags for more than 3,000 people who died on the trek northward were then placed on a map, at those approximate coordinates where the remains were found, creating a visual story of the perils of this particular trek and the human beings willing to do it. People with family and loved ones, places they called home and things they treasured, communities that nurtured them, worries that haunted them, People willing, because of, or despite of all of this, to risk death for the possibility of something else. All of it, the tags, the items, the patterns, the data, make an argument for changes in policy, yes. But before that, they ask for a change of heart. The work of De Leon and his colleagues is not dissimilar to the overall goal of the work of Brian Stevenson, to bring attention to the history of lynching in the United States with the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, or to the Holocaust remembrance sites found around Europe and the United States, each of these trying to tell the story of what happens when we fail to regard one another fundamentally as human beings and as part of the same human family. To learn the stories of others can be transformative for how we see them, for how we understand complex circumstances, for how we respond as individuals and as a society. It is when people become more than the two dimensional pictures on a screen more than the worst or best assumptions we had in our heads, more than an easily definable single category, more than a talking point or someone to be persuaded. It is when we hear that their grandma used to buy them their favorite fruit as a special treat or that their child loves pink flip-flops with sparkles, just like ours does. It is when these connections happen that we want the same for them that we want for ourselves. We want the same for their children as we want for our own. And we are transformed by that knowing. Using the language of faith, we might call this kind of transformation repentance. That is, turning to God, or more precisely, turning back to God from the strong impulse we have at times to navel gaze. It is to see God where we did not recognize God before, and to receive the joyous truth yet again that God indeed is not far from each one of us. It was with this conviction that the Apostle Paul traveled to Athens with the plan to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He went to tell them what he knew of them and what they needed to know of God. It was what he was doing those days, joined up with the very folks he persecuted in the not-so-distant past, but he himself had experienced a transformation, a change of heart. Once blind, now he saw. He was full of the Holy Spirit and fire Paul had set down his stones and picked up the God of repentance. From his own very personal experience, he knew that God did not turn away from anyone, but rather turns to them, even those who could not be farther away. So Paul went to the Athenians, engaging Gentiles directly, just as Peter had done before and Jesus had done before him, expecting to confront the differences and rather surprised by the similarities. Amid the idols and the questions, the debating, and even the rejection he experienced, Paul saw in those he stood before and in himself a shared identity. He had not come to bring God to them, but the Spirit had led him there to see God, and to recognize that God was already there. Amen. It just became his job to name this out loud and before them in order to help transform their own knowing of God. From silver and stone and gold to flesh and bone. For we know that divinity does not look like these precious metals or like earthly composites. It does not take the form of political talking points or ideological sticking points. It does not confine itself to what we can control or even what we are so sure that we know. But rather, and quite simply, divinity looks like people. It looks like Jesus, who lived as one with us. It looks like the people he met on hillsides and at tables, in the temple and at the foot of the cross. The divine took on human form so that we might look to one another and see God. And in so doing, know that we are connected and we are all part of one family. Paul's preaching to the Athenians was about this familial way. See, he said, we have a common creator. See, we have a common ancestor. See, the breath and the life that is in you is the same breath and the same life that is in me. We are all God's offspring, God's family. And so we must turn away from every impulse, said Paul, that tries to convince us differently, preying on our fears, our insecurities, and our need for control. This tendency we have is to keep God contained. It is to make our buildings, our possessions, our ideologies, our politics, and our tribes into God. It is to worship them. It is to make idols of them, and it is to separate ourselves from truly knowing the fullness of God that is the relationship with one another. So it is that the work of the people of God in every age is to repent From this tendency and to draw near to God by drawing near to one another and finding ourselves changed I have been thinking about these tags the trail extending northward on a map the found items and the stories that each represent while this week feeling convicted by the two-dimensional pictures that just keep coming Pictures of mothers crossing rivers arm-linked for safety. Pictures of fathers sitting under sheets hung from churchyard iron fencing tied up to block the sun in the heat of the day. Pictures of children standing in long lines or running to waiting vans. Pictures of individuals and families disembarking a bus at 30th Street Station. Friends, I worry... Perhaps that is the proclivity of a mom, of a pastor, of a person of faith. I worry that we are suffering as a nation and as a global society these days because we have become content to view one another through these two-dimensional conditions that are served up minute by minute as we refresh our news feeds. We have become incurious, I fear, or we are overwhelmed, or we are paralyzed by fear, or we are resigned that nothing we do matters, we have forgotten in this that what we have in common is our humanity. Surely this is not a new condition, yet it feels heightened by our several years of needing for the health of everyone to know one another in two-dimensional ways. In this shared experience of isolation, we have come out that much more divided, because we have not been willing or able to hear the struggles and the joys and the sorrows of one another to the fullest. But this is clearly not the way that it has to be, nor the way it should continue. As those who know the God of repentance and transformation that Paul preached we cannot afford to be ignorant, incurious, or overwhelmed, or fearful, or resigned. We cannot place our trust in ideologies that give us a distorted hope. No, our trust is in God's very real presence in humanity. Our trust is in God who urges us instead to accept the invitation to draw near, to listen, to pay attention to at least attempt to gain what understanding we can of complicated realities with a hope for change. By knowing someone's story, we do not always know the answer, but sometimes we find the will. Our hearts are broken by what we see and hear of in relationship to these pictures we see. And regardless of our politics, our calling is to love. It is to love God's people, it is to put ourselves out there to know them, and it is to risk knowing God better in the act of doing this. Societies and nations and policies and lives can be transformed by this kind of knowing. Our faith tells us so. Amen.